All right. Well, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, go ahead and find your way to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, where we're going to be at this morning. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. And if you're using one of those Black Pew Bibles that are around the room, that's going to be on page 976. 976. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Now, typically, and really most of the time, uh, we like in our time in the Word is simply to be walking through books of the Bible. It's called expository preaching, where we simply pick a book and we walk through it line by line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. That's the main preaching diet here at Carson Valley Bible. Uh, but occasionally, we do different series. Um, such as we just finished up with our Advent series, where we are looking back at the first coming of Christ, but also looking forward to the second coming. But then there's also times where, just as a church, uh, we do what are called standalone messages. Just things that are going on inside either the world or the church, or um, are, are just important things that, that need to be brought up and discussed. And even though we typically, I'm sorry, typically go through just the books of the Bible, and we're actually going to be starting Genesis in a couple of weeks on the 16th, I believe. Today and next week, um, I'm going to do kind of two standalone messages, just things that I think that as a church that we need to be thinking about and really grounding ourselves in as we begin this next calendar year, this next calendar year. So today is going to focus on a little bit more on the individual side of what, what I'm praying for. And then next week, we're going to look at, okay, how as a church, where, where do we want to go in the year 2022? What does God's word actually command us to do in the year 2022? But today is going to be a little bit more individual than next week. Because when it comes to the start of the year, what are we all thinking about New Year's resolutions, maybe some of us, how 2022 is going to be the best year yet. And that's okay. That's okay to think that. That's okay to pray for that. Maybe you're like me, and you actually like setting goals. I, I like setting goals. Like, I have a, a goal this year to grow a beard. It wasn't supposed to be funny. But thanks for the confidence. I know. I know. It's been a goal for the last eight years. I get it. But I really think this might be the year. You know, I have fun goals. Like, you know, there's trips I want to take or books I want to read or people I want to get to know better. And, but I am, I like setting goals for myself. Now, some of you, you're on the opposite side of that, right? You hate New Year's resolutions. You hate writing out lists. Well, let me just... Try to encourage you, but say we will try not to annoy you too much over the next week or two with have you set any goals yet? But when it comes to New Year's resolutions, if we're being honest, and the church is a place we should be able to be honest at, is oftentimes they are flaky, right? Or they're temporal, right? Usually they don't last very long. And we can get frustrated with that. Maybe that's why some of you guys don't set New Year's resolutions anymore. But sometimes, if you take this, this failing that you often do to your New Year resolution goals, what you will do is you'll actually project that onto other things. Like, if I can't ever accomplish my goals, why can anybody else? 
And unfortunately, I think sometimes we take that all the way up, and we even project that failure onto God himself. And so what I want to do this morning is give you some assurance. Not assurance that you are going to accomplish all the goals that you want. But assurance in the only place where I believe that assurance can truly be found. And that is in the person and the character and the nature of God himself. So it's not going to be a sermon on how to set those personal goals for 2022. But if I may, what I want to do is to highlight some of the things that I believe, based on the Word of God, we can expect God to do in the year 2022. Because what He has promised, He always will fulfill. It's not like our New Year's resolutions. They are far better than that. Because the only thing that will not fail you is Him. I will probably fail you this year, maybe your family, your relationships, your jobs, yourself. But there's one person who will not fail you, and that is God. And that's where I want just to turn our attention to this morning is, what is God planning on doing this year? What is he planning on doing in the life of a believer? But let me go ahead and just stop there for a moment before I actually read um, out of Ephesians. Let me pray for us, pray for our time. And as I do that, I'd ask that you pray for me, and then we'll jump into the text. Well, Father, once again, I just want to come before you because I know that um, I'm desperate for you to move in the hearts of every single person in this room. God, I'm desperate for you to illuminate the text, to allow just our own hearts to be able to see rightly who you are and what you've done. God, I thank you for just that, that gift and that work that you do through your spirit. God, I also want to just pray for our kiddos this morning and, and the teachers that are leading just the littlest hearts inside this building. God, I pray that you would encourage them that even just some of our, our kiddos, our, our sons, our daughters, or would be able to walk out of this building today and join us with just a heart that has grown fonder towards you, Jesus. And that we just walk out of here loving you more than when we first walked in. But God, we need your help in that in a mighty, in a mighty way. So Lord, we, we give all of what we have to you according to who you are. And it's in that name we pray. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. And I'm actually going to read um, all the way through verse 14 this morning. So Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, it reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. 
in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Church, that is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Yep, thanks be to God indeed. All right, church, what we just read in the Bible is probably one of the greatest passages when it comes to the assurance of God that we have. One of the greatest places where we can see the assurance of salvation. The assurance of salvation. That's really the first assurance that I want to show you this morning. Is the assurance of salvation that God has resolved not only to save you, but also to keep you Christian. And here's why that's important for so many of us in the room. Because many people, including myself for a a good amount of time, believed that my faith in Christ, my hope in Christ, was really based on how well I was holding on to God. But what we just read, church, is that's not it. It's not about how well we hold on to God. It's about how well God holds on to us. We see this promise of what God is doing and will always do. We see the language there in verse 4, if you look at, look at your Bibles. Verse 4 says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Pointing to this reality that it's not about what we do. Because truthfully, how well were you holding on to God before the foundation of the world? Not well, because you weren't there. I wasn't there. But know what we see, church? We see God's plan of redemption taking place before we were even, you know, a blimp on the radar at all. It even goes on to say in our text that he has predestined us according to whose purpose and will? His purpose and will. Because it had nothing to do with us, church. It had everything to do with God. It had nothing to do with us. But yet... And here's the important part. But yet, God decided before the foundation of the world, at some point in our history, at some point in your life, he was going to reveal and open up the gospel to you so you you could totally understand it, totally see it, totally embrace it. That God chose a moment in time that he was going to do that in your soul. That he was going to allow that good news, and that's what gospel means, it means good news, that that good news would be like, oh, that means it's good news for me. See, God has resolved before the foundation of the world to save you, Christian. Not because of anything that you would do for him, but everything because of who he is. And he has chosen you before the foundation of the world. So what Paul is actually describing here in Ephesians 1 is the experience of every single person who has become a Christian. That God has chosen, predestined, and has revealed, and then also has sealed you. Even look at verse 13. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Here is that assurance of salvation, church. Meaning that when you believed, 
when you believe that what Jesus did on the cross in atoning for sins, when you believe that it actually counted for you, that you were in need of a Lord and need of a Savior, and not Savior, not Lord, was Jesus Christ. When you believe that, right, turned from sin and trusted in Him, it says that you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's a down payment, if you will, of the inheritance that then awaits you. And that inheritance is something that we talked about a few weeks ago on my, my sermon about heaven. That this full inheritance which we are waiting for is that full presence of God, right? The full dwelling place with God where there's no more sin, no more tears, right? That heavenly body, right? That, res- that true and final resurrection, that full inheritance we are still waiting on. But yet what we see here is that God has given a down payment, an insurance saying, I am going to complete that. And the way that you know that I'm going to complete that for you is I'm actually going to send the third person of the Trinity to indwell in you as a down payment. And think about that. That means God's down payment is not just a, the scraps that he was able to come up with to say, I promise I'm going to make this right. Here's, here's a little bit, of, little bit of what I got so you can hold on to that. No, actually, what God does is he actually sends his best as a down payment. He sends the best part of our inheritance, and that is communion with God. He actually sends himself. It's not chump change. It's himself that he sends to indwell in every single person. And that word seal, many of you know this, this was a first century term in which somebody would like seal an envelope with wax unbreakable until it was meant to be opened. And so you are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. God gave you himself as assurance. So if you hear nothing else today, church, can you hear this? You cannot lose your salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. You can have assurance of who you are in Christ because of who God is in himself. When you confess that you are a sinner in need of a, of a savior, God takes up a residence inside of you. This is a powerful text that I don't want to move too quickly beyond because God always saves those whom he intended to save. God always keeps those who are his. He doesn't lose anybody. So you can go into this year believing and banking on the fact in the year 2022, if you're a Christian today, you're going to be a Christian at the end. And thanks be to God for that, that he has sealed you with himself. You see, I want you to have absolute confidence in that. I want you to have absolute confidence in that. And maybe you're not quite sure where you're at this morning, right? You're coming in here, you're not quite sure if you're a Christian. One is you're welcome to come here for as long as you want. You know, our cards are on the table. We actually want you to become a Christian. We do. We want you to understand who Jesus is. We want you to understand the gospel. We want you to repent of your sins. We want you to trust in the person and work of Christ because we know that when you do, that you will have the same assurance that we do. And we want you to know that Christianity is not a religion of you do more, or you get better, or you figure this thing out in life. What the gospel is, the good news, is that God has figured it all out. That God has atoned for our sins. That God is the one who saves. It's not up to you. It's up to him. And we just want you to understand that and believe that. Good news, church. 
is not something to do in order to gain. Good news is something to believe and respond to. And that's what we want for you. But the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is not just about a future reality. It's not just about a future. It's actually about a present reality, too. There's a reason why God has sent his spirit to indwell in us now and not just the day before we die. There's a present reality to the work of the Holy Spirit that I want to show you. And that's really where I want to spend the rest of our time this morning is is unpacking three more areas in which God the Holy Spirit is at work now. What is God resolving to do this year, in the year 2022, if the Lord does not return? So the first assurance was the assurance of salvation. The next assurance is the assurance that God has resolved to continue to build out your hope and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Because truthfully, when many people think of the Holy Spirit, they think of what? They think of maybe the miraculous gifts that we see in the New Testament, right? They, they think of these unique expressions that were given to the early church to contribute and to validate their witness, and they kind of leave out the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit, right? They think about um, speaking in languages that they've never spoken in before. They think of some kind of miraculous healing, and they forget that that is actually not the primary reason why God has sent the Holy Spirit. Jesus actually tells us why he sends the Holy Spirit. Let me show you this. The first one is from John 16, verses 12 through 15. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. And and he says this, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what God has resolved to do through the person and work of the Holy Spirit, then, is actually to bolster your confidence in Jesus. That's what the Spirit wants to do, is it wants to glorify Jesus in your life. It wants to build out the confidence that you can have in him. Really, for as long as you walk this earth then, what the Holy Spirit is doing is constantly growing your affection and your love for Christ. What he has done for you. What it took for him to do that. What he continues to do for you today. The Holy Spirit's job is not to just make, have some kind of crazy experience, but actually the job of the Holy Spirit is to have this giant spotlight be beaming onto Jesus. That's why when you read your Bible, right, when you sing songs about Christ, when we partake in you know, some of the, the ordinances that we have, like baptism or the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do later today, these are actually means in which the Holy Spirit wants to highlight the person and work of Jesus. He's going to be moving and bolstering your confidence. That way when you read the Bible, you'll see how all of the Scripture is actually pointing to Christ. It's not pointing to something else. Nobody else is the hero. That's why when you read even like the Old Testament, you'll see how all of it is telling you, predicting, foreshadowing the person and work of Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does, church is it wants to bolster your confidence in him and him alone. It's why 
and you guys have probably heard me say this quite a bit, one of the prayers that I pray pretty consistently is, is I pray something along the lines is, I pray that we walk out of this building loving Christ more than we first walked in. And the reason I pray that prayer is because I believe that is actually what the Holy Spirit des- desires to do with us when we meet. is to grow our affections and our confidence in Christ. And so I'm just praying what I, what I believe is in align with the will of God. So the, that second resolution is God has resolved to bolster your confidence in Christ this year through the means which he's actually given us. Now, number three. The Holy Spirit has also resolved to deepen the Father's love for you this year. To deepen the Father's love for you. When you became a Christian, when you believed in that atonement, that work of Jesus on the cross, when you believed that he died in was buried and rose again and ascended back to his throne. Not only does the Bible say that you are justified, basically made right with God, that your, your guilty resume, so to speak, was washed clean because Christ adored the wrath that was, that was owed to you for your sins. That's justification. But there's another part that what the Bible says that you're not only justified, you're not just given a clean slate, but you're actually adopted into his family. That you move from actually children of wrath to now children of God, sons and daughters of the king. That you are adopted into his family. And if you still have Ephesians open, look at verse 5, where it says that he has predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So not only are you justified in the sight of God, you're actually now welcome into his family. Where now God looks at you as he looks at Jesus and says, Welcome home, my son. Or welcome home, my daughter. You know, the the book of Hebrews actually tells us that this assurance of the Holy Spirit allows us to actually draw near to Christ. Like a son or a daughter draws near to their father when they need him. That's what we have through the through the Holy Spirit. Why? And I'll show you this. In Romans 5, 5, Paul says this to the Roman church. Maybe not. It says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So God has resolved through his Spirit to actually pour in the love of God the Father into your heart. That you no longer see God as a just and holy, righteous one, which he is. But you also can see him as Father. And some of you have a really hard time even just fathoming this. Because you know if God is truly God, if he really is all-powerful, if he really is all-knowing, then he actually knows everything about you, right? He knows all of your insecurities. He knows all of your calamities. He knows all of your sin. He knows every thought that runs through your mind. He knows every action that you've ever partaken in. And you go, there's no way, if he actually knows all that, that he can love me. But here's where I want to tell you, church. He does know all those things, and he still says, son, daughter, you belong to me. You belong to me. And there's nothing that you can do to get out of my hand, my family. That welcome home, 
you know, we, have, we usually have mats in front of our house. Um, you know, it says welcome. It's usually a Disney theme. Um, there's usually Mickey or somebody else, you know, saying basically, welcome home. Every time I step on that mat this year, I want to think about that's what God says to me. Is welcome home. That I belong to him. Every time I'm doubting or going, does God still love me? Think of these words that my, God's love has been poured into my heart. And let me show you another text from Romans. This is where actually Paul, I believe, starts talking about this reality to the Roman church. In us by extension, he says this in Romans 8, starting in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of the adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. See, the Roman church struggled to understand this reality just as much as we do. Understand that we not only approach God as that just ruler in which he is, but we can approach him as sons. And we can even use the language as such. We can call him Abba, which is a term of intimacy that a father had with a son or a daughter. So for every Christian in the room, that means, guess what? God is not the man upstairs. right? He's not the big guy in the sky. Or whatever silly things are often said. God has resolved this year to pour into your heart the ability for you to say, Abba. Father, when speaking about God in the deepest, intimate terms that he has given us. I think that's really good news, church. I think it's really good news to walk out of here with. Now, one more resolution I want to show you this morning is God has resolved to wage war against sin in your life this year. One of the greatest promises of the Holy Spirit in, in dwelling believers is that he actually wages war against the desires of the flesh. Another way to talk about sinning, partaking in sin, partaking in the things that don't draw you near to God, but actually separate you from God. That the Holy Spirit has actually decided that he's going to wage war against those things that separate you from God. That means that if you are a Christian, right, you're sealed with this... The, the third person of the Trinity, where you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, that you're no longer controlled or dominated by sin. And actually, his presence in your life will actually begin to manifest as your desires will start to change. That you don't want to sin. That you don't want to rebel in certain ways. Now, truth be told, that doesn't happen overnight. But until the day that you die and you go to be with Christ or he returns, until that day comes, the Holy Spirit has resolved to be fighting sin in your life, in your life to be fighting sin in your heart, to be moving you more from the first Adam to the second Adam, to be moving you from uh, a human nature that's bent towards rebellion to a heavenly new nature that you have in him that actually wants to please him, wants to serve him, wants to glorify him with all that you are. And let me show you this from Galatians 5, 16 through 25. It's a little bit longer a text, and I want to read it all because I think it's important. This is where Paul actually talks about this is what the Holy Spirit has resolved to do. Starting in verse 
16, it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. For if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So what I want you guys to see in that text, and what I'm trying to communicate to you this morning, is that God has resolved to enter into this battle with you. That God has resolved to not be satisfied with whatever propensities that you may have in life, or no longer how far you have walked down a certain pathway. If you have believed in Christ, and you are sealed with that spirit, he is waging war against that. He is constantly trying to take you closer and closer to Christ, waging war against sin, sometimes providing miraculous victory, right? Where all of a sudden, a certain desire just goes away overnight, and you praise God for that when it does. But I know for many of us, we see in here in Galatians, it's a war. It's a daily battle. And God is committed to that. You need to hear that. God is committed to that. And part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is you'll be able to see that working out in your life. There'll be evidence of that. Because many Christians, and I see this all the time, Many Christians struggle to fight sin, and they seem to gain no victory over it. And usually, usually it's because they're just, they're just taking practical means to fighting it. Well, if I just do this, and I don't do that, or if I just put myself in this situation, or I just have this filter on, then I won't sin. But yet, it doesn't stop you. You find another way to sin. Because what the Holy Spirit actually does is it enters into this realm of your affections. It enters into the realm of actually wanting to give you a desire for the things of God. Things that pragmatics can't do. I'm not saying that pragmatics are not good things to think about. We need those, right? We need healthy boundaries. But in and of themselves, they will never stop you from sinning. It's the Holy Spirit who has resolved to change who you are. To make you more like Christ. To wage war against sin. That's where the ultimate victory comes from, church. And how does that happen then? Right? How does that ultimate victory then actually happen? Right? How does that battle against sin or that battle against affections actually take place? Because that's really what a sin battle is. It's a battle for affections. It's a battle for what's most important. Well, I believe... That battle is won when God surplants the old affections with new. Right? Really, those first two 
resolution which God does in bolstering your confidence in Christ, in bolstering the love of God for you, those are actually the very means in which God replaces an old affection with a new. There was a Puritan named Thomas Chalmers who probably said this best, and I have a quote from you for you on, on as a powerful sermon he preached on called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. He says this. I haven't heard it said better anywhere else. He says, The heart is not so constituted, and the only way to dispossess it of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. Here's what he means. If you want to put sin to death, then you have to have a greater love than that sin. You want to put lust to death? That means you need to have a greater beauty. The beauty of God himself and his design for intimacy. You want to put pride to death. You need to be captivated by the humility of Christ and his work in your life. If you want to put sinful anger and strife, maybe bitterness to death, it means you have a greater affection for who Christ is and his kingship in this world and not your own. It's the expulsive power of a new affection. That's what the Holy Spirit is actually committed to doing this year, is taking old affections and replacing them with new ones, replacing them with ones that come from God himself. And as these affections grow through the means of grace, the good news is that the Holy Spirit has resolved to fight this sin battle with you every single day. He doesn't give up. He does not give up. So to close our time, I'd like to simply assure you that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's what Philippians tells us. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So you may not be where you want to be yet. Right? You may be looking at the start of this year going, I am not where I thought I would be at this time, 10 years ago. But praise be to God that God has resolved to continue to work in your life. That God is not done. And we know that because you are sealed with the Spirit. You have assurance of salvation. We know that the Spirit is continuing to bolster your confidence in the person and work of Christ. We know that the Spirit is pouring God's love into your heart so you can call him Abba, Father. We know that God has resolved to enter into the battle against sin every single day. Yeah, you have a role in that, absolutely. God will convict you of sin. You have to respond to that conviction. You have to respond to that gift of repentance and turn from sin and turn to a greater affection in Christ. But it's God who does that. I hope you see that. It's not you willing that. It's God's work in you to do that. We are involved, no doubt, but we're not in control. Well, with that, let me go ahead and just end our time with prayer. And then I'm going to ask that we will just respond with song and then we'll take the Lord's Supper together. But let's go ahead and just pray just to end our time in his word. Well, Father, I... uh, When I think about just the words in which we read uh, through, through... just the scriptures this morning. I, I can't help but just simply want to say thank you. 
Thank you for being a God who doesn't save and say, I hope you make it to the end. But you're a God who not only saves, but then holds on to those whom he has saved for all of eternity. And God, what a gift that is. And God, I pray and know that there's no coincidence in life. So God, I pray that if there is somebody in the room this morning that wouldn't say they know you yet or wouldn't believe that they have assurance in you, God, I pray that you would just give them this ability to fully embrace who you are, that they would stop trying to hold on to you and realize that you are holding on to them. That is your job, is the assurance of salvation. And God, help every single one of us in this room actually believe and trust that in deeper and new ways. No matter where we have been this last year, God, you have kept us alive for this moment in time right now. So God, I pray that we would just be able to respond to you with the grace and the glory and the praise in which it deserves. Jesus, it's in your mighty name that I pray.